You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Uh, We got through championship weekend. We had one classic game in the evening. The earlier game just got marred by a significant injury. First possession for the Niners, Purdy goes down, and just all the wind had to come out of those sails. And we have some coaches hired this week. I mean, oh, by the way, uh, three of the openings all of a sudden went bang, 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 and now we've got two left. And oh, by the way, an old crusty veteran decides to retire again. So yeah, with that, TV12 puts out the announcement over Instagram this morning that uh, he again, in fact, is done. I think it's going to stick this time. You know, there was a lot of speculation where he was going to play and was he going to stay in Tampa? Uh, his kids, big factor here. Son, you know, we know the story. You know, he lives up in New York uh, from previous marriage. And then these uh, the kids with Giselle, they live in Miami. So it's going to be very difficult for him to really navigate much of, you know, going somewhere else. Alex and I talking about, you know, okay, what are we going to talk about this week outside of the championship games? And then all of a sudden, all these things get thrown at us. And here we are. So, Alex, I don't know. First reaction, TB12 is done. Again. So when is he coming to the 49ers? I'm just curious. How long is it going to take this time for him to unretire? Because I'm not buying this, Lou. There's still going to be an itch there. You know, he's divorced now. So what is he going to do now? Is he going to go to the booth? I mean, obviously he's got a huge contract there. But I just, I feel like if the San Francisco 49ers come calling, Somewhere in the beginning of the summer, when Purdy is still not ready for to throw during training camp, Trey Lance is still recovering. I don't know. Maybe Brady would have the itch to come back. You have the running game. You've got a great defense, regardless of you know D'Amico Ryan's leaving for a head coaching job. The players are still in place, so I think it would be a good place. I'm just saying. You know, I realized that he came on, he made a speech, it looks like it's a it's a farewell tour, but if he did this the first time, he's certainly capable of doing it again. You know, I mean, it's just like you're making a sales pitch to somebody, and you know, I guess the younger salesperson will just start throwing out all these positive, you know, why you need to do this way, where I think the, the crafty veteran salesperson maybe asked the the customer if you would in this case tom brady what he's looking for what he needs you know i mean it, because we know all that stuff is there all these fancy features and so forth that stuff is there but but it, to me i think it's more of a lifestyle thing he's 45 years old i mean famously you know years ago he said he was going to play till he was 45 and again i don't think that's kind of like the he wanted to hit 45 and that was it he wanted to see kind of where things were and i think you know the fact that one you mentioned it he did get divorced so now again i mean he's going to have specific times now he's going to be able to have with his kids and i think you know, if he's playing in San Francisco or Las Vegas or somewhere like that, or even hell, Tennessee for that matter, 
it's going to be difficult for him to juggle that whole schedule. I mean, it would just too much time away from one or the other. So I really believe this is the real deal. He's not going to come back from this. Um, and, you know, again, how, how, you, you can't blame him. So hopefully these other teams that are waiting for this whole thing to come back can kind of look in a different direction and kind of go younger and, and, and move again, move along. And I know, you know, you're thinking about San Francisco and the whole injury to, to Purdy and it, it was just awful. Uh, and then it comes out after the game that it is a torn UCL, which in uh, for baseball pitchers, basically what's coming up is the Tommy John surgery. And everybody's saying, well, you know, six months training camp. You know what? Most pitchers don't come back from that. I mean, nine months would be kind of miraculous and maybe not miraculous, but way ahead of schedule. OK, from this type of surgery and just from listening to a few shows and talking, you know, with doctors that have performed the surgery and talking about, you know, these guys coming back. Uh, yes, for for one, you know, it's not as violent a throw baseball versus football, the, even though the ball's a little bit heavier, it's just not the same. So it might be a little bit shorter time, but I wouldn't expect Brock Purdy playing anytime soon or throwing a football really anytime soon. So now the story turns towards, you know, it, Trey Lance, which again, with his surgeries and so forth, they think he's going to be ready for the uh, OTAs and training camp and everything that you know, leads up to the next season. Do they bring somebody? They have to bring a veteran in. I don't think it's going to be. I mean, the Jimmy G story just couldn't get any weirder. But if as weird as it is, is he the veteran that they bring in or keep? You know, does he have that, you know, that much, uh, I guess, swallowing of his pride another time? To say, okay, I'll give you guys a, another season. I I just don't see it happening. So uh, I don't know. I mean, do, do you go out and spend for like a Derek Carr uh, just to kind of keep the seat warm and somebody that can train the young guys? Uh, is that something that Derek would want to do? I mean, he's from that, you know, he's from Northern California, uh, played at Fresno State. So I don't know. That's just going to be kind of a dicey thing. I think Derek Carr is going to go elsewhere. Um, yeah, I just I get the feeling that you know. Yeah, where he's the clear he he's the clear guy for the next several years. Whereas in San Francisco, whoever they bring in is just going to keep the seat warm for one of those two young guys. Yeah, I just have a feeling that it looked like Purdy was going to be the guy, and now this injury happens, and you're probably going into training camp thinking that Purdy is going to be battling Trey Lance. If he's even ready. But as far as like a veteran is concerned, keep an eye on somebody like Ryan Tannehill. I just think that the Titans are going to cut loose on Tannehill. There's no doubt in my mind. They're hiring a new GM. I think they're going in a different direction there. And they're going to try to bring, maybe draft a younger guy or, you know, trade for somebody else. I think Tannehill era is over with the Titans. And I just think with his mobility still, uh, he can fit into that 49ers offense. And he might be willing to, to come in on like a one-year deal if, again, these young guys, or especially Purdy, is not ready 
to continue to battle for that starting job. So that's a name that I'm just throwing out there. Yeah. He is he's not available, but I think he will become available a lot sooner than people think. Yeah, a lot of names are going to be thrown around and we're going to be talking about this, you know, throughout the offseason leading up to the draft. Usually when these things happen is during, you know, around the combine time, free agency and then, you know, leading up to the draft, a lot of these moves will have been made and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it, but I was just curious. I mean, just from your perspective, Alex, I mean, I go back to like the seventies, eighties, nineties, and I obviously been watching football in the NFL a long time and seen a ton of great quarterbacks and just how the game has evolved and changed with more and more passing as the decades have, have come along. But as far as Brady's concerned, what, I don't want to say he had like the Jordan effect on the NFL, but maybe more like LeBron, somebody it just has kind of been there from the beginning. But LeBron, it was expected from, you know, when he was in high school. So I don't even know if I have a comp. But as far as Brady's concerned, just kind of the whole evolution in, in New England where they won a bunch of Super Bowls early, then there was about a 10-year gap, then they won three more. Uh and you know, going to Tampa, I mean, just everything that he's done, it seemed to be the right thing. And, you know, love him, hate him. He's a polarizing dude. But at the end of the day, I think he's a really good, he is a really good guy that cares about things and especially cares about winning. And for me, the one thing that I guess I'll remember the most is uh, I, I think the Super Bowl against Seattle. And Seattle's got it down near the goal line at the end of the game. It looks like New England's about to lose the game. It's going to be a handoff to Marshawn. Touchdown. We're out of here. You know, Russell Wilson now is you know guaranteed Hall of Famer. But the story changed a little bit. They throw the interception, and Brady on the sideline looked like he was about 12 years old. And one of his best friends just made the play to win the game. And he's just jumping up and down like a little kid. And that just, to me, that kind of encapsulizes him. He just loves the game, loves winning so much that he stuck around. And he stuck around at a high level, uh, being able to, I don't, his arm seemed like it got stronger as his career went on. And I didn't see any fall off this year. Now, obviously, the mobility isn't there, but everything else, as far as just being able to play game after game, to have the RPMs, to be able to you know, will his team in some cases to win games when it just didn't seem like it was there. But uh, I guess to me, that's the one moment that kind of captures who Tom Brady was for me. You know, players like this, they don't come along uh... – you know, they, they come along maybe once every 30 years. And, you know, we just, <clears throat> we witness greatness. And, again, maybe there's one quarterback that can um, surpass him possibly or maybe even come close to him. And that's the guy playing in the Super Bowl in a week and a half and Patrick Mahomes. But he's got to win a few more. You know, you can put up great numbers, okay, like, Peyton, Dan Marino, John Elway, Aaron Rodgers, but it is about winning, okay? that That's everything that these players care about. It's about winning that Super Bowl ring. Say what you want. Brady wasn't the most talented player. He was on a, he played on a very good team, 
that kind of protected him. They had a great defense, but he never had like great wide receivers surrounding him. And I've, I've said this many times uh, when you and I have done this podcast. It was like Randy Moss for a couple of years. They had Gronkowski, a great tight end, but they never had like a go-to wide receiver. Most guys, most quarterbacks have somebody that they can trust for a period of time, maybe like seven or eight years. And and Brady never had that. So I'm just going to, you know, tip my hat off to him and and waiting for him to put on that 49ers jersey. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. Again, that would be the storybook ending. But but again, just if you watch the Instagram post, I, I don't know. I mean, it just everything just seems different from last year. Last year, it just seemed like it was rushed. It was kind of forced. Anyway, we'll we'll see about that. And then he, you know, he turned Julian Edelman into a, you know, I don't know, almost a great player. I mean, that that's I guess that's the other thing is you talk about, you know, Mahomes and I guess the the greatest thing about him that I can say and watching him over the last 5 or 6 years is that all the great ones tend to elevate the people around them. I mean, Tra- Travis Kelsey is a great player, but I think, you know, obviously, you know, his uh, rise has really you know, ramped up during the during what Mahomes era. I mean, he was doing well with Alex Smith, but OK, this this is a whole other deal now. And I don't know, you know, that you can point to any. Did he lift Tyree Kill? Tyree Kill is just kind of like this superstar and just a, a unicorn type player. Uh, just really not heard of in the NFL. So maybe we don't look at Tyreek so much, but looking in that game uh, against Cincinnati at, at the end, when they were, you know, Marcus Kemp, who I, I don't think he'd caught a pass or one pass all season. Cause he spent most of his time in the practice squad more. So a special teams player uh, MVS had the best game of his career in Kansas city. And quite frankly, maybe his entire career, uh, you know, you've got other type. Jody Fortson is out there coming off an injury playing wide receiver because all their wide receivers were hurt, but he was still able to, you know, move the ball and get things going. So again, certain guys, you don't always have to wait, you know, to see their end of their career to see, okay, this is greatness. Okay. We knew, you know, Bill Russell, Kareem, all these other guys and Jordan comes along and after about, you know, five years into his career, it's like, this is different. Okay. This, this is greatness. So I think that, you know, people are a little weary about throwing that on Patrick, but I mean, again, I'm going all over the, all these years and all the different sports. And you can tell when somebody is just different and not just the numbers, but just how the team plays when they're able to go even on one leg. So, yeah, that was, that was a pretty remarkable performance by, by Patrick. And the comparisons, I don't know. He's, <clears throat> is he ever going to win seven Super Bowls? Probably not. You know, I mean, that, that's just, it, it's just crazy that one guy was able to do that. And he played 23. Is Patrick going to play into his 40s? Probably not. I mean, the, the, the money is great and everything else. And health. Who knows? You know, he's a little bit more mobile. He takes some chances with his legs. So maybe the injury factor comes up. But uh, 
maybe I hijacked that a little bit here, Alex. I'm, I, I apologize. But, you know, when you bring that up, you know, you start comparing, you know, guys and kind of, okay, anointing the next one. We don't want to do that so early on, but my goodness, uh, the kid just elevates everybody around him. So at the end of the, at the end of that game, I mean, you, you, you're hearing, you know, a lot, whether it be Bengals fans or just fans of the NFL, the officiating keeps coming up. And I don't know what the answer is here, because obviously there were some suspect things that happened in the Philadelphia San Francisco game, certainly in the Kansas City Cincinnati game. I don't know that any of the whatever missed or botched calls, whatever, had an impact on the on the final score. But in watching the game, for example, first drive, I believe it was fourth down. Hertz goes over the top. Yeah, Devontae Smith makes what looks like an incredible catch, right? And it's real time. So, you you know, you're not seeing replays right away. And he kind of rolls over. And the first reaction to him is he's given a signal to the rest of the team. Hey, let's get up to the line of scrimmage and run the next play. So even in his mind, maybe he didn't didn't catch it. And I'm look, you're looking at Shanahan, you know, throw the flag, throw the flag. But again, it's early in the game. Does he want to use up a challenge? Well, hell, this is possession here. If you're going to just take a leap of faith, maybe this is one that you do it. Maybe the guys up in the booth didn't see the replay where it shows the ball hit the ground. With the sky judge and these and these these uh, accelerated reviews, the guy from New York in the in the referee's ear, if they see it or they're not sure, wouldn't it make sense just to hold up play and? Hey, let's make sure this was a good, you know, I mean, and to, to put it on the coach to like blindly challenge it because they don't know either. That just seems wrong to me. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, do you think they should incorporate the sky judge a little bit more? Because it seems like out of the blue, a lot of times they'll make a call or well, after discussion. Well, I, that's code for in my ear. New York says, no, you got it wrong. This is the right call. That, to me, should happen a little bit more often, specifically in playoff games. What do you think? I would throw the flag there, Lou. It's just there's too much at stake. You know, it was, a, it was what, a fourth down play? Fourth yeah, it's three. possession. It's right. possession. So, if it's incomplete, we got the ball at like the 40-yard line. Right, and just like you said, Smith's reaction. He wasn't sure that that was a catch. So the way they hurried to the line and snapped the ball, I mean, my initial reaction is I wouldn't be waiting. I would be throwing the flag if I was Kyle Shanahan. And even if I'm wrong and I cost the team a timeout, no big deal. It's just a huge, crucial play. It doesn't matter if it's on the first series or the last series. I just think you have to do it. You you just you have to see the reaction. You have to act, and you just you throw the flag. So... Uh, in my opinion, that that's on Kyle Shanahan a little bit. You know, he's been there before. This isn't his first go around, and there's a reason why he can't get past the the conference championship game. That's all I'm saying. We can we could say that you know the game was over when we lost Brock Purdy on what the the team's sixth well, at this, offensive. Well, at this snap. point, they, at this point, they hadn't touched the ball yet. 
No, I'm just saying, but still. And I'm saying, well, what happens all of a sudden that they do? Obviously, it would have been overturned because they showed the play, you know, whatever. The ball hit the ground. So now all of a sudden, everything changes. I mean, is it kind of like the butterfly effect? And maybe Purdy never gets hurt. The the whole offense, the whole offensive uh play calling might have been a little bit different you know just on that series it may you know and that would the first play of the series or maybe you know McCaffrey breaks one on first down and they get the lead and we're not even talking about Purdy being hurt so now again you don't we can, know that. Lou, Lou, I, that I wanna I want to take the high road and I want to say that we got crushed by the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh yeah, okay? no, 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 no. I, mean, I just saying, like they—they they took it yeah. to us, a- absolutely, I, especially on the ground. Okay, forget about Purdy. Forget about the fact that the offense couldn't do anything. Right when Purdy went down, it, again, it was on the team's sixth offensive snap, and then Josh right. Johnson goes in there. I mean, Josh Johnson has been with with like half of the teams in the <laughs> NFL. But he yes. hasn't, like, taken snaps, especially in the playoffs out there. So, no. uh, again, they took it to us. The one thing that really impressed me is Hassan Reddick really just had a coming out party, okay? He had a great season for the Eagles this year. But the fact that he was able to dominate the way he did in crucial moments and making those plays, not only injuring Purdy, but also picking up that fumble, the, the botched snap, and that leading to the touchdown, like before the half. So I give them credit there. And also what surprised me, and mostly in the second half, but what surprised me is that the Eagles were able to run the football on the 49ers. When you and I talked about it last week, I thought that Hertz would be throwing it around like the field and trying to take advantage of those wide receivers. The fact that they were able to punish the 49ers defense on the ground, that's what impressed me the most. So again... Uh, sure, I, I would have loved to have seen if Purdy would have stayed in the game, what would have happened? Because certainly we weren't ready for jo- the Josh Johnson show in the conference championship game. But again, I want to take the high road and say that the Eagles deserve it. They're going back to the Super Bowl and they're going to play against their their old ball, ball coach who wasn't able to win it with them when he was with the Eagles. Well, yeah, I mean, I, that wasn't my point that the whole game... the I guess just the complexion of the game might have been a little bit different. And and again, yeah, I mean Philadelphia, they dominated the game, uh, both side both sides of the ball. Uh, Hertz didn't have to pass that much, you know. I think he only threw for like 120 yards. Um, but yeah, that's that that run game is no joke. Um, so anyway, my takeaway, and again, going back to my initial question, is do you think? that the NF they should use more of these expedited reviews during the course of a game on some of these calls that aren't, I guess, ordinarily looked at where it's, you know, they said, well, every scoring play, every turnover, you know, whatever. Well, you know, Hey, this is a fourth down play, huge play. Maybe the, you know, the side, the side judge was kind of screened by the player. He didn't see the whole thing. You know, should we get this right? You know, it, would you feel comfortable if those things were to happen without a challenge? I think that's on the coach and the opposing team. I think they should be responsible 
for making that call. And the way it stands right now, I mean, that, that's what you got to do. You either throw the flag or not. So I'm not, right. I'm, I'm not relying. Going. I'm not relying on some, you know, judge in New York who's going to throw the flag or hit some button and say, hey, hey, I'm going to save Kyle Shanahan there in the 49ers. Forget about it. You, you snooze, you lose. And that's what Kyle Shanahan did. So, I mean, it's on the team. I, I would never rely and try to get, you know, an, a rule where they should, like, because it's in the playoffs, because it's the Super Bowl, it's the conference championship game, let's save a team. I mean, come on. You've got well, the chance not, to well, it's the not flag. It's not a matter of saving the team. Well, then, okay, let's put that out of it. Well, now, if the if if it is a, a in question, in on a play like that, do you then – and if you don't get to see the replay, right? If you're a coach and you have limited challenges, let's take this situation out of this particular one out of it. And you, I mean, because typically I would imagine they do so much preparation during the week and everything else. I'm sure they prepare for these types of things too. I'm sure every team has a procedure. I'm sure there's somebody up in the booth or a coach for the Niners that looks specifically at these and, hey, we look at a replay, okay, Kyle, go ahead and challenge this. This is, you know, the ball hit the ground. Go ahead, throw the flag. If they don't get the replays in time, so you're you're good with that rule that if the offense can get up there and get the ball snapped before anybody sees what really happened, you're good with that. I am. Okay. All right. I don't, so I we're don't not going to make any. It. We're not going to make any changes there. NFL. This is how it's going to go from here on out. Go go for it. Uh, all right, let's move on to the, sec- the, the second game. I mentioned, you know, everything I did about Patrick, but the big thing to me was the fact that uh, a lot of the younger players of the Chiefs stepped up. Uh, Legere Sneed goes out on, on the uh, basically the, the first first series of the game. Uh, went in head first on a tackle, which again, you know, whatever. These things happen, concussion protocol. But they had already been playing with all these defensive backs. I mean, this draft class, you had, you know, guys on the field for a majority of the game. Trent McDuffie, you know, first-round pick. Jalen Watson, seventh-round pick. Joshua Williams, fourth-round pick. Uh, Brian Cook, uh, second-round pick. Sky Moore made made a huge, you know, huge play. I think he would – he was a second second rounder. Uh, yeah, huge huge play on a punt return where earlier in the season they, they had to take him off the punt returns because he kept muffing punts. But Kadarius Tony had gotten hurt, McCole Hardman had gotten hurt. So basically, and Justin Watson wasn't even uh, up for the game. He was injured, so he's back there on a punt. Now say what you will. I'm sure that there's plenty of Bengals fans out there, maybe people that bet the Bengals that will say, "Oh, there's all these blocks in the back," but I don't know. Line drive punt straight down the middle of the field, and Sky makes the play of his of his season. George Karloftis had a sack. I mean, you look again. You like to have fun with Brett Veach, and I I, I hear you. But look at this draft class. They're all playing, and they all played significant roles. I was I was so happy, especially for our uh, former guest uh, Joshua Williams. The interception he got beat on some plays during the course of the season, and you know, hey. These guys are rookies. They got to learn. Uh, Watson got beat on a few, but again, he, he also picked. He also picked one off uh, from Burrow and was a great play. 
So, yeah, I would say that was a huge part outside of what Patrick did with his high ankle sprain during the entire game, which, again, we tend to normalize things with these guys that we've elevated to a certain point, and it's like they can't impress us anymore. But every time, he just impresses a little bit more. I'm very partial to Brett Veach. Um, so I'm just going to say that Andy Reid and that coaching staff do a very good job developing rookies throughout the season. And they're able to throw them in, you know, in the fire and uh, they're able to to rise to an occasion. And they they've not only done this this year, I think they do it in all the years that I've seen. The Chiefs feel comfortable putting rookies out there and, you know, throw them into the fire, even if they get burned. You know, they, they still make plays, like like you mentioned. So I just, I give more credit to the coaching staff than the scouting staff here for the Kansas City Chiefs, just because I can't. I mean, impartial to Brett Veach. Sorry, Lou. Just, he made the picks. I know, <laughs> I, I know. They, they, him, they did a great you gotta, job. You got to give, give him some credit. Um, and again, I, I don't know that he's the, that he's the best GM in the league. I don't know that he's the worst GM in the league, but he's hit on a lot of draft, especially this past draft class, where it seems like every single guy. I mean, outside of like Derek Kennard, who really hasn't played much as as a tackle from Kentucky. Um, I think Nazi Johnson was another seventh round pick. Plays mostly on special teams. I think he's a uh, safety DB type from uh, from Marshall. But other than that, every other guy has played some kind of role. And, you know, I, some of them, I mean, like you said, are, are just going to get better. And Spags really has a hard time playing rookies. He was kind of forced to a little bit uh, this season. But Watson stepped up. You know, all the guys I mentioned have stepped up at one time or another. And McDuffie, outside of a couple of just getting just basically stumbling I, you don't hear his name, and and that's probably the best compliment you could give to a defensive back is that, hey, you don't hear him, his name a lot ex- except for when he's making tackles on running plays because he's covering his guy, he's in the right place, uh, and they're not throwing his way. So I just I I'm very impressed by this particular class and just the fact that they're playing and contributing in a big way. So. Uh, that that was good to see. Um, two, uh, as far as this game goes, as far as the Chiefs and the Bengals, two things that really stood out to me. All right, I mean, Mahomes didn't look perfect by any means, but he outplayed Burrow. Okay, he couldn't rely on his mobility in the pocket. But I look at the numbers and just watching the game, he still went for three hundred and twenty-six yards and three touchdowns, twenty-nine out of forty-three, uh, as far as like passing. Burrow, 26 out of 41, 270 yards, touchdown, and two interceptions. And another thing that really impressed me is just the defense. The way the Kansas City Chiefs came out in the first half, they took it to the Bengals. They had four first-half sacks and just kind of made it difficult for Burrow to feel comfortable in the pocket. Something that I thought... The, the Bills would be able to do to get more pressure on Burrow and the Bengals. The Chiefs were able to do that in the first half. And I think it set a tempo. In the second half, it was more back and forth between the quarterbacks and the offenses. But I just felt like the Chiefs really got it going 
and kept the Bengals to what, like seven points in the first half? I mean, that says a lot for a high-powered offense that the Bengals are supposed to be. So now I'm saying that the Chiefs had a really good game plan in place in the beginning. Then the Bengals adjusted a bit. But, you know, obviously the Chiefs still came out on top. And the fact that Mahomes, who was really bothered by the fact that, you know, Burrow has his number and he wins in Kansas City. I mean, that really rubbed him the wrong way. And, it, I mean, you saw him coming out and just playing his best and not being 100%, obviously. Yeah, it's, again, it's just you... you... Anytime you hear high ankle sprain, you're just thinking, oh, my gosh. I mean, this guy is going to be out for the next month, no matter what position they play. Now, quarterback, maybe, you know, it's not nearly as bad as if you're a running back or receiver and you have to run full out every, just about every play. Uh, but still, I mean, he's got a plant and throw. And there was a few where you could see when he was going to his left and it was, God, this is not does not feel good. And he's hopping around. And so. God, you know, just God bless him for 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 being who he is and and having the mindset that he has. Um, and oh, by the way, <clears throat> the best bets for the week four and oh, both unders, uh, Philly minus two and a half, and then Kansas City uh, at the time was probably minus one and a half. And, and I don't know how your lines changed out there if you bet the games, but the unders, I don't know that we're ever in doubt. And uh, those were probably my favorite ones. Nine and one in the playoffs. I mean, I, you know, I haven't had this this big of a role um, in the playoffs in a, in a long time. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Sixty four percent in the regular season and now nine and one overall in the playoffs. So I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit. I'm going to cash my tickets. And uh, here we go. So. All right. So the Super Bowl is coming up. Uh, we'll get more into that uh, coming up on, on next week's show. But early on, the e the Eagles are one and a half point favorite, uh, open to two and a half Philadelphia. Uh, the over unders are forty eight and a half. So uh, interesting to see. I mean, a lot of storylines. Obviously, the Kelsey's going going against each other. Uh, Andy Reid coaching in the Super Bowl against his former team. Uh, you know, read off of a bye week, you know, got all sorts of different storylines you can look at. And just the fact that the chiefs absolutely. And again, I mean, this is documented. You can look at it, how well they do against the NFC. Now, again, those are regular season games, but between beating up on the AFC West and the NFC in general, that's where, you know, a bulk of their wins come from. And usually the losses come within the AFC, but outside of their own division. And I believe all three of their losses were against the AFC this year. So clean slate, I think five and O against the NFC six and O against the AFC West. And I guess against the AFC, there were three and three. They lost to the Colts of all teams. So anyway, uh, speaking of the Colts, they still have a job opening, and so does Arizona, and that continues, and both teams continue to, to interview and interview and interview, but three teams have hired new coaches. Carolina, Frank Reich, hello. He was the, he was the starting quarterback uh, the first year of their existence, so maybe a little bit of a homecoming here. Uh, another homecoming, D'Amico Ryans. No, no shock here. Uh, New coach of the Houston Texans goes back. He was a player there, was drafted there, has a lot of uh, ties to the community. I believe his wife is from Houston. And then 
finally, somebody took the Walmart money and uh, Sean Payton goes to Denver, uh, had to be a trade. So a first and second round pick goes to uh, uh, New Orleans. They throw back a third round pick and Sean Payton for this whole thing. And just uh, wow, just so, so much money and draft capital thrown to Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. And just you got to hope for their sake it works. So let's start with Frank Reich. What were your initial thoughts when you, you hear Frank Reich to the Panthers? Well, the Panthers made it clear out there during like news conferences or the articles that you read, they wanted an offensive guy who could solve their quarterback situation with previous head coaching experience. So if you look at those things, you either go with Sean Payton, but you don't want to give up that much capital from what, you know, how the Panthers approached it. So they decided to go with the guy that had a pretty good tenure, you know, with the Colts. And when he had, when he had Andrew Luck, the Colts were successful. Unfortunately, the Colts couldn't solve the quarterback position the past couple of years. All right. And that did Frank Reich in. But in 2020 and 2021, the offense was actually pretty good. I mean, if you look at the offensive numbers for the Colts, they played well. So you go with a guy, again, that has experience coaching in the NFL and that has an offensive background. Now what the, the Panthers need to do is they need to draft a quarterback. All right. They need to get somebody in the draft. And you have like three guys that are possibly going to be top 10 picks. So you need to figure out whether you need to move up for one of those quarterbacks or whether you stay put and, and just go with with the guy based on the positioning that you have. So something that did Matt rule in is the quarterback position. I can't imagine Frank Reich going into the season saying, Sam Darnold is my guy, even though he showed some glimpses of that during the first <coughs> during a couple of games. After he came back from injury and took over for Baker Mayfield. But I can't imagine like Reich being, you know, accepting Sam Darnold with open arms. So I think the Panthers are, you know, going to be looking for a quarterback. And I think it's going to be through the draft. And they, they sure need to do a better job bringing in the guy for the future. And that's something that Frank Reich and that coaching staff and you know, the front office would need to evaluate. So overall, it's a solid hire. I'm not ecstatic about it. I wasn't blown away by it. But again, if they get the quarterback in place, I think Frank Reich could be very successful because the defense for the Panthers this year played really, really well. Well, offensive guy, you know, very quarterback-friendly coach, uh, established, much, you know, a lot of experience, highly respected around the league not just as a not just as a human being but obviously as as a football coach and being able to get the most out of his quarterback now the guys like you said that they brought into indianapolis had some issues whether it was age whether it was i don't know how to describe carson wentz but wouldn't that be something if somehow he makes it back to carolina as a backup but i digress uh so you got matt corral there you've got uh, Sam Darnold, 
you think even if they draft somebody, they're going to want a veteran. Does Sam Darnold is do you have is is he able to groom somebody? Is he have a he's only he was so young when he came in the league. He still might only be like 25 years old. I mean, he's a young dude. So they I'm guessing they'll probably want to bring some veteran in as well. So they got a lot of work there, but they've got a lot of nice pieces on the defensive side of the ball. They have drafted fairly well over the last few years. So we'll see what happens there. Now, D'Amico and I Ryan's- like, and again, I like the division. It's a very winnable dis- division. Okay. Yeah, With Brady's Tom- gone. <laughs> Brady is gone. The Bucks weren't very good this year. All right. And they have issues. The Atlanta Falcons are, are certainly you know, still a team that's rebuilding. The Saints are a mess. So this is a winnable division. So Frank Reich probably yeah, made the not right gonna move take, by coming. Not going to not going to take much. Just but again, you got to get that quarterback right. D'Amico to Houston again. Everything you hear about this guy, the presence. Forget about what he did numbers wise with the San Francisco defense. Sala before him laid the foundation and probably coaches before him because it just seems like over the years, that's another team that has done an amazing job drafting and developing talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Everybody, I mean, you get a ringing endorsement from JJ Watt from a Houston perspective. I don't know that they could have got a better fit. Now, granted, he is a defensive minded coach. So let's see what they, you know, who he brings in as an offensive coordinator. You almost have to think it's going to be somebody from that Shanahan Kubiak tree, because that's, I think, what he's known throughout his career. Uh, And somebody they're going to be able to have a tremendous running game to protect the, the defensive side of the ball. A lot of draft capital there. They've got some young players, some young talent, but I don't know that they've actually put anything really together yet. Uh, a lot of dysfunction within the organization, but with a six-year deal, hopefully this GM can work with him. They work well together, but I just think just they got the right guy, the right mentality, somebody that understands the community and how that is going to fit with the team and try to get the community behind the team so it's not such an apathetic place on game day. Anyway, I think D'Amico is a home run here. D'Amico has done a fantastic job with the 49ers defense the last two years. You know, He was an outstanding player for the Texans, and it just looks like he transferred those skills into his coaching career. So he's connected to the city. Like you said, the Texans have 11 draft picks in the 2023 NFL draft, and a number two overall pick, certainly going to be a quarterback. No doubt about it. He definitely needs to bring in a bright offensive mind at OC, and I think that's going to go a long way. I want to see how Nick Casario and that front office use those draft picks because the Texans need a lot of work. And it's very interesting because this is the third African-American head coach for the Texans, a third straight african-american head coach they fired the last two after they only spend a year there i hope they give they give D'Amico ryan's a couple of seasons there i really well i think david cully and uh lovey did as much as they could while they were there but i think a little bit hindsight i don't think it's hindsight it just seemed like those hires were just basically placeholders right i mean they were like basically hired to be fired 
Now, D'Amico's got a six-year deal. I think this is a whole different situation here. They go from, I guess, the team that kind of, you know, I hate to say it, but, but almost abused a, a couple of African-American hires. And now it looks like we're hiring this solid guy, young dude. We're going to put everything we can behind him and give him every opportunity to succeed. And certainly the AFC South has become a winnable division. You've got Jacksonville certainly on, on the rise. So that's the team that you really have to look to. But the Colts are a mess, right? Tennessee is certainly taking several steps back unless they get a, you know, I don't know, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Maybe that turns things around for them. But uh, no, worst to first. We see it every year. You never know. Maybe D'Amico Ryans is the guy to get that done. Finally, Sean Payton says, I do to the Denver Broncos. Uh, was he their first choice? You'd like to think so. But they did go back to Jim Harbaugh. They went to Ann Arbor to meet with him after he had already committed to staying at Michigan. Dan Quinn takes himself out of the uh, running early in the process and goes back to be defensive coordinator for the Cowboys. I'm sure just the translation there is Jerry wrote a big check. They have to trade for him, so they give up draft capital. They have to pay him top-of-the-market money for, for coaches. I'm assuming that was the hesitation to uh, redo the, the coaching market as far as contracts are concerned. I'm guessing it's going to be between 18 and $20 million a year for Sean Payton and for this ownership group who's baptism under fire if you would to kind of their entry into the nfl if it's a check that's going to get them out of this they're going to write that check and they're going to write a lot of big ones to sean payton and quite frankly i mean if anybody can get russell wilson right if you would with a, a an offensive system that fits what he does it's going to be sean payton so unless russell really is washed where the terminology you keep hearing with him and you know he just doesn't have it anymore was it the coaching was it this it could have been any number of things bottom line is somebody can get him back to where he was or at least close to that and be effective offensively I think Sean Payton's going to do it I think he's a great coach is he worth that money I don't know I mean yeah he's a very good coach he's won a Super Bowl uh did a tremendous job in, in New Orleans with Drew Brees the whole time. Was it Brees? Was it Peyton? Uh, obviously, I think both of them uh, had a lot of say in what, what was happening there. But if anybody can get Russ back to Russ, it's going to be Sean Payton. So uh, from that perspective, I think it's a good hire. Uh, the AFC West has now some pretty decent coaches in it, uh, save maybe Staley, but, you know, uh, jury's still out on him. We'll see. Uh, Josh McDaniel, jury's still out on him. But with Reed and Peyton in the same division, you know it's it's going to get a little spicier. So that's, I'm here for that. Well, Peyton wasn't Broncos' first choice. Uh, I think D'Amico Ryans was actually, <laughs> if you believe the reports, was the first choice for the Broncos. So maybe it was then Dan, Dan Quinn. And then Peyton, just because of the hefty price that you have to pay, not only how much you have to pay him per year, but you have to like trade for him and give up the picks. And basically, the past two years, the Broncos have given up three first-round picks, three second-round picks, and three NFL players for Wilson and Peyton. Is it worth it? I'm not sure it is. I mean, just investing all that capital— yeah, yeah. Oh, Alex, I didn't mean to interrupt. 
plus, I'm guessing, about $350 million. Yeah, that, that all, but I guess they don't care about the money in Denver. I mean, with the, Not with now, the ownership no. <laughs> there, I don't think they care. But I mean, you do give up the draft capital. You need to still build a team yes, around absolutely. Russell yep. Wilson. I think that's a problem. And that's probably a major case why D'Amico Ryans went to the Texans. He has 11 draft picks in 2023. The Broncos, they don't have any in the first couple of days. So that, that's a problem. But if anybody can get something out of Wilson, it's Peyton. Because Peyton is one of the best offensive play callers in the league. Like top three for sure. So I think Wilson will be able to recapture some of that magic that he had with the Seahawks. I think he'll bring some of those big plays to this offense. But he's not a precision passer, Lou. That Breeze was and never will no, be. No, no, so, no, no. no. I'm, the only thing they have in common is their stature. Right. Could, it's completely different players. Right. And, I mean, we all know that Peyton needs to get Russell Wilson on the move. He needs to get him off of those play-action passes, getting him on with those bootlegs, throwing on the run. He's not a pocket passer out there, something that Breeze was really good at. He was a precision passer, one of the most accurate quarterbacks in, of all time. So this is going to be a little bit of a challenge, but the Broncos have a very good defense. I hope they keep their defensive coordinator because they have the players, they have the secondary, and that's going to bode well for Sean Payton. He doesn't need to score 30 points. All right. Even in this division, the Broncos can, you know, keep up with the Chargers and the Chiefs, and they play really well against them as far defensively the past couple of years. So I think that's going to bode well for, for Wilson and Peyton. And the one thing that Russell Wilson needs to do is just keep those turnovers down. Something that we saw this year, which was really uncharacteristic, is that Russ was just throwing the ball away, making some, making some terrible decisions, being inaccurate with the football, something that we haven't seen with the Seahawks. And I, I think that's something Sean Payton is going to preach to him, and I think he's going to be in his ear, and I think that that's something that he'll be able to work with him on it. So it's a good hire. If anybody can fix Russ, it's Sean Payton. So I'm behind it, but damn it, it's a lot of capital to give up for just two guys, all right, for a quarterback and a head coach, because you still need to build that roster. But I think Peyton is going to bring in his GM. I don't think George Patton is going to stay there for much longer. I think Peyton wants, and probably the reason why he came there, he's probably going to bring like somebody like Jeff Ireland from the Saints or something like that, somebody that he's worked with before. So I'm sure the GM for the Denver Broncos, George Patton, is going to be out pretty soon. All right. So a couple other uh, quick notes, coaching, and then we'll move on. Uh, Lou Anarumo finally getting some uh, interviews where it seemed like he probably should have last year, although, you know, they were in the Super Bowl. So not much of an opportunity got done, you know, a couple weeks earlier. So it looks like, you know, he's got probably has a shot in Arizona or Indianapolis. I don't know what the hell is going to happen in Indianapolis. Both of these are very interesting because you've got basically, you know, family run businesses, whether it's Ursay and Bidwell in Arizona. Uh, and Ursay has already shown like his uh, eccentricities, if you would, uh, about things. So Jeff Saturday still in the mix there, I, which is kind of I don't know. But, you know, I, 
it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. Arizona's like interviewed everybody. It seems like they've this they're up to like 20 guys now. Kafka's been in there a couple times from the Giants and he's one year removed from being the quarterback coach in Kansas City, first year as an OC, you know. So again, they're kind of casting a wide net. Young guys, you know, somebody that's going to be able to relate to Kyler Murray. And I don't know if that person exists other than maybe Lincoln Riley. And I think he has a job. So uh, another interesting move in the AFC West, and it kind of went silent. Or not silent, but maybe a little quieter. Kellen Moore either left Dallas or got fired in Dallas. We don't know. Mutually decided to part. But within about 15 minutes, he was the OC name for the L.A. Chargers, which I think is huge uh, upgrade in for uh, for for the quarterback. Uh, Jesus, my brain just stopped. No, go ahead, go ahead, take a pause. What's what's Justin's last name? Herbert, Justin Herbert. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So Kellen Moore lands in Los Angeles. 15 minutes after he leaves Dallas, huge upgrade for Justin Herbert and the Chargers. So that should be interesting to see how that plays out. But just the whole Dallas thing, I mentioned, you know, Dan Quinn going back there and, and kind of passing on these head coaching jobs. So it, who knows? Maybe Mike McCarthy will start calling plays. All right. Before we get out of here, it is Senior Bowl week. Uh, the East West Shrine game is this week. And we have the, uh, I guess, the, the advantage here of someone that has been at both of these all-star games over numerous years, Alex, uh, when you showed up, whether it was at the East West shrine or the senior bowl, what kind of things were you looking for? What, what were you looking to accomplish while you were on site during that week? Well, I think you were just looking for players that are going to, stand out especially in the one-on-ones because even the event um, has a lot of different drills and probably the most exciting drills during the the shrine game or the senior bowl is the one-on-ones and i think the senior bowl has featured that over the past few years we've seen it on you know nfl network espn the wide receivers going against the defensive backs or the d linemen going against the offensive lineman in the pit drill. So, I mean, those are those were the sexy events. Like which quarter uh, which wide receiver or cornerback or defensive lineman versus offensive lineman, who's going to stand out? And I think that's, you know, guys are left on an island, you're either going to look good or you're going to look bad. So, uh, if if you can turn around, you know, a, a defensive back with a nice crafty route Certainly going to hear those roars. If you can make that catch for a touchdown, hey, guys are, you know, scouts and, you know, media personalities are going to be a Twitter guys like us. They're going to be looking at you, you know, to, to see what you can do. So you, from the first practice, you want to kind of get off to a good start because guys that actually got off to a good start and, you know, whether it was Monday at the Shrine Game or Tuesday practices at the Senior Bowl. Those are the guys that kind of kept up the momentum for the most part because 
the guy made a very good impression on the first day. He was able to carry it over on the second and the third day. A lot more, you know, teams are talking to you, obviously. They they want to follow up. You're going against the best players. So you're always looking at those guys that just kind of pop off, you know, like the screen. You see them live, you know, for the first time because you've seen their film. You've seen their games, right? But it's you see it live. It's it's a different animal. You see how fast or quick a certain wide receiver or cornerback is. How he breaks on the ball, or you know what what type of routes he runs. You look at his speed. How he matches up against you know a certain guy. As far as like offensive and defensive linemen, you know how quick is his first step? Is he able to use his hands? You know, can an offensive lineman hold his ground? You know, does he have the proper knee bend and and good technique? So it was just an opportunity for me because I didn't see these guys live like the scouts and the GMs do when they go to the big games. I was able to, you know, see how these guys measure up. And uh, I wanted to obviously see if they can, you know, elevate their play during an all-star game because you're going against the best of the best. But the Shrine game and the Senior Bowl changed through the years, Luke, because the Shrine game before this, it was in St. Pete. It was a Tropicana field. They practiced at, at a local elementary school and high school before. Now the Shrine game, it's called the Shrine Bowl now. It's in Las Vegas. I mean, it might be even competing against the Senior Bowl now. You know, it's kind of elevated, you know, certain its status because... And I'm old enough. I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm, I'm old enough to remember when they used to play it at Palo Alto. There you go. I mean, I wasn't. Like I was many old many moons ago. They played it at Stanford Stadium, and that when it was true, you know, the East West. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry, but the, but the Shrine game, the Shrine game had more scouts, and it didn't have any big wigs. Okay, it didn't have any coaches. It didn't have many GMs out there. It was mainly scouts coming over. It was more laid back. Obviously, the guys weren't as high-profiled as the guys at the Senior Bowl. So I actually enjoyed the Shrine Game Week because it was an opportunity to see these day three sleepers, guys that you know you can get in the fourth, fifth, sixth round because you know they're not going to be drafted in the first or you know, in the first round or the day two. When it came to the Senior Bowl the following week in Mobile, that was more business-like. I mean, it was just like a media frenzy, you know, like more NFL Network guys, more ESPN guys, you know, like a lot more GMs and coaches. And a lot of people are just, you know, interviewing and trying to get jobs out there. Uh, it's It wasn't only the players. It was, you know coaches and you know front office scouts and stuff like that trying to lobby themselves for a certain job it just looked like it was more professional that week and there was no way that you can approach these players like on the first or the second day of practice there was no way you can get an interview after practice on the field it was really really tough okay at at the shrine bowl i mean scouts were speaking with them after practice but you were able to to get these guys a lot more. I mean, you were able to score more interviews with them. Uh, during the Senior Bowl, you had like media night. 
uh, like in the afternoon and then it was in the evening. That's when you try to get these players and catch up with them because the bigger players like the quarterbacks or the, the so-called first-round talent guys, there was no way you can get them like after practice. No way whatsoever because they were talking with like all the teams out there. So the Senior Bowl was more intimidating in that way because – you go out there, you try to catch interviews, you try to like see players, and it was a lot more fast-paced, so there's no way you can be snoozing. You can't be like, you know, like, you know, you always have to keep moving and staying, you know, live and, and you know, watching the action on the bleachers at the Senior Bowl because it's just like you snooze, you lose. You know, you miss five minutes, that's it. You you miss the one-on-ones with the wide receivers and the cornerbacks. So it was more professional-like atmosphere because you had the coaching staffs there of NFL teams, and they were just, they were going so fast-paced, you know? It was like an hour and a half of intense action. At the Shrine game, again, it was more laid back. Players were taking more rests, and, and you know, it, it wasn't as fast-paced as, as the Senior Bowl week. But I really enjoyed it. I think the events have changed now, again, with with the location being moved from Florida to Las Vegas. And same thing. Well, with- now they're playing they're play- the East-West Shrine, well, whatever they, they call it, now is will be played Thursday night. And the Senior Bowl will be on Saturday, where it used there used to be a full week in between, right? It would usually they would just like go back to back weeks, and it was, it's just you know it, it's just difficult because they're trying to cram it into the NFL schedule too, right? To have these teams av- to be available to go see them, but then also not put it up against playoff games or anything like that. Yeah, that that was you're right. It was a lot different back then because the Shrine Bowl, whatever I'll call it, the Shrine Game Week. It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practices. Um, actually, it was like you come in on Monday and then you have like practice on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday is a walkthrough that nobody goes to, and then Saturday is the game. And then obviously you come back the following week and the Senior Bowl started, well, you check in on Monday, but the practices start on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So yeah, it has changed. Like the schedule has changed. I actually like the fact that you can scout these players for like three or four days because you could see like who's standing out, you know, who is, you know, who is impressing the the teams out there, who's impressing me. And you could kind of just follow up, you know, which guys are continuing to put together like impressive days and guys that can put together like two three impressive days those are the guys that you know have helped help themselves the most out there i do believe that if you perform well at an all-star game if you stand out against the best players it certainly elevates your stock but i don't think that if you don't do well i don't think it hurts your stock some people always like talk about risers and fallers. I think at all-star games you have risers, but you don't necessarily have fallers because that's really, you know, I never try to like knock down a player for not performing well at an all-star game. You know, it's it's a tough environment. It's the tough setting. And, uh, you know, some guys do really well and catch up with the playbook and, and stand out. And some guys are just... Not as quick, but it doesn't mean I'm going to knock them down. But guys like Aaron Donald, you know, guys like Eric Fisher, if you go back in the day, those are the guys that stood out at the Senior Bowl, and look what it did to their draft stock. 
Well, I had like five questions. I believe you answered every single one of them already. <laughs> so I'm not, not going to continue. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I keep pumping this kid up. And I, I don't know, maybe I just just kind of fell in love with him when we talked to him. But Joshua Williams, you know, he's HBCU Division II school, small Fayetteville State. Uh, gets the invite to the senior bowl, impresses people there, then blows it out at the combine. And here he is. He ends up being a fourth round pick. So, and then with these other, other, there's other games. You got the NFL PA bowl, the hula bowl, um, the tropical bowl, and I'm sure there's others and I don't want to leave anybody out, but I, I guess just the opportunity for more kids to show their wares to scouts that can't necessarily get to every single game at every level of football during the course of a fall weekend. So yeah, I think, I think it's good. It's tough for the scouts because now there's more places you have to go, but it also presents a bigger opportunity to find that diamond in the rough. And like I said, in this case, I mean, the one that sticks out to me most recently, again, is Joshua Williams. I think Brock Purdy played at the senior bowl last year as well. So um, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Uh, we thought we were going to have a really short show, but hey, these stories, again, like tell I, they, they just kind of write themselves. We're here to comment. Uh, again, if you, if you've been sticking with these picks, God bless you for take, taking the leap of faith with us. But, uh, wow, it's been, it's been a hell of a ride here, but we've got one game left Super Bowl. Let's see what what happens. We've got another week in between. We've got media night. It's going to be a wild time leading up to that big game. So for my partner, Alex, I'm Lou on the way out. Ooh.